Welcome to Spitball Unplugged. Uh, today, Luke and I are going to be doing a little bit of a wrap-up of our recent expedition, journey, expedition, trip. What do you want to call it? Vacation? Uh, um, adventure? Adventure. 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 Yeah, I like okay. adventure. Of our recent adventure to the Granite Games Summit, all the way in far-off Nashua. Nashua, New Hampshire. GGS, baby! Only 45 miles from Fun Spot. The only other place that anybody who knows about New Hampshire knows about. Yeah. Not for uh, me. Oh, wait. No, that would be... Okay. Never mind. No, it's about 45 miles from Nashua. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, and uh, so what is Granite Game Summit, Luke? Granite Game Summit is a small furry creature from Alpha Centauri. It's also a... Uh, <laughs> It's yes. a summit of board gaming where people gather to play video uh, video games, board games. It's a it's a large community of uh, like minded people who want to play complex, crunchy board games with other like minded individuals. Yes, and uh, several of the celebrities that were attending this year were uh, Gilhova of Gilhova fame, uh, Chip Bovey of helping us with our game fame, and. Uh, the guys from Flip the Table of the Flip the Table podcast fan. As well as uh, Flip Flory, uh, Flip Flory Super Saturday board game serial, yes. who uh, original, uh, originated with Flip the Table as one of the uh, co-podcasters. Yes. And uh, ch- uh, uh, jo- joking aside, Chip Ave is actually the designer of uh, Chroma Cubes, uh, which is actually a pretty good game. And uh, Gilhova is the owner of Formal Ferret Games, and he is best known for, I would say, uh, Battle Merchants and the Networks. Uh, the Networks was actually uh, one of their pa- – uh, oh, yeah. So one one thing that I really love about uh, Granite Games Summit that we should mention before we get into too much of the stuff, since a few of these were on there, is uh, they have something called Play to Win, which I, I assume is probably fairly common at, at board game type uh festivals uh, I would where so, yes we're playing where you play some board games and they're all donated and uh the winner and, and then they they basically give you everybody who plays gets entered into a raffle to win that game and so a couple of the ones that we played were actually for that and i really like that because it gives you it gives you a reason to try some games that you probably wouldn't have otherwise tried and there were a couple that luke and i actually wanted to play and literally never were back on the shelf to try yeah that was very frustrating it was a little bit of a bummer, but other than that, it's we, there were still a couple that we found that we really liked. So let's start by getting into – let's do this in chronological order, I guess. Sounds good to me. Okay. So we show up Friday morning and we wait in line for about 45 minutes. Now, I guess, I guess about 20 minutes uh, to get in. It was a long line this year. I think there were probably two or three times as many people there this, this year as last year. Yeah. Um, Considering how um – how how not as full as it is in Saturday, that line is pretty long. 
Yeah. And, and well, yeah. And a lot of people show up like trickle in during, during Friday. So Saturday morning, there's a lot fewer people checking in. Um, and also this is, they've already moved to a larger hotel two years ago. It was much smaller and you could barely ever find a table. Yeah. This new location is much better. It's much better. Um, so we show up Friday morning. We, and the first person you see is Flip. And so Flip is kind of well known for always having a bad game on him or several. And in this case, he had Voltron Defender of the Universe. <laughs> Voltron. Which yes. is of all of the terrible games that I have played with him is not the worst. No, that is true. That is not the worst. Um, we probably got closer to worst with the other game that we'll mention further on in this. In this sure. Game. I'm not sure that's even the worst. That one's at least funny. Not yes. intentionally so, but it's funny. It's quite entertaining. I, I think the worst that I played with him was the Godzilla game, which, to be fair, the seven-year-old who played with us really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Well, most of those games are um, not that terrible, uh, mostly because they are. Four kids. Uh, they're four kids. Yeah. Yes. So Voltron Defender of the Universe is a game that came out, I guess, in the mid, probably in the mid 80s, because that's when Voltron was kind of big. Oh, yeah. And it looks like a game from the 80s. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of purple, a lot of really bright colors that don't really match. Oh, yeah. I um, mean, the the whole board was like that. Um, It was bright red, bright yellow, bright green. I think the key term here is bright Right. And it's really, I was actually shocked to find that, um, Flip, who was a huge Transformers fan, did not know anything about Voltron. Which I guess they're not quite the same, but they are both from Japan, technically. No, yeah, that, that, that's true. I think. Uh, actually, I, actually, Voltron is not technically from Japan. It is a bastardized, uh, combination of three Japanese animes that were split together and cut apart. But that is neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so I had the argument. So my first note is that the colors are weird, and we kind of covered that. Yes. Bright. Uh, bright and weird. Bright and weird. And Luke, why don't you tell us about possibly the thing that was most infamous about that game? Oh, are you talking about the way the game ends? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so um, this is actually in the instructions. Yes, this is in the instructions, people. If you win the game, which uh, we played twice, didn't we? We did. And we, we did not win the first time, so we played it a second time. But we should point you, out that this is a cooperative game. If you win the game, the game gives you a quote that you're supposed to yell as loud as you can, and then everybody on the board, because it's cooperative, uh, finishes that off with uh, Assemble Voltron or something like that. Assemble Voltron Force. Assemble Voltron Force, yes. Because, you know, you win the game by assembling Voltron. And um, so you have to do the, the thing from the show that uh, you always hear every episode to finally beat the big bad guy, right? And I will, I will, I will see if I can actually find that and cut that in. That would be great. It would. And, uh, I mean, it was the catchphrase from the show. However, as mentioned, we were in a room with about 250 people, and the winner stood up on top of his chair and screamed it, at, well, not screamed, shouted it at the top of his lungs, uh, Voltron Force, uh, forming Voltron, something, something, connectors enabled something, something. And we, we got applause at the end of it, and I was a little surprised we did, to be fair. That said, the game itself, you know, it could, it was a little too simple, but it actually could have been good. It's about, um, it's basically a form of memory, although not really because you don't know what any of the cards are before. 
Well, I mean, that's the way memory works anyway. You have to flip the cards at least once to know where everything is. Right. Uh, so what it is is you put down these 25 circles and each of those circles has something on it. Uh, you're trying to assemble the five keys to start your Voltrons. Uh, as Flip pointed out, they apparently just left them on their bureau as they were running out to get to the Voltrons. Yeah, I think he said that they left them at the Olive Garden. That's what it was, yes. So you're trying to start up Voltron, and as you move move around the table or around the board, um, as you flip over certain enemies, the monster comes closer to you. As you flip over other things, you move slightly to closer to the monster. So basically, the que- the trick is to find all five of the keys before you and the monster meet in the middle of the board. And it is a really interesting way of of keeping up pressure, and you know exactly how long you have. And, and it makes kind it of fairly interesting tense. when you think about that because the win and the lose condition are technically the same. Yes. The big bad guy gets closer to the creatures on the board. So Yeah. And the one other thing is, as mentioned, it's a co-op game, but there's five movers. So you can move any of the movers at at a period of time. So there is that sort of you want to there's memorization involved, but you also want to ensure that nobody's walking over each other and trying to find an efficient way of doing that because, you know, once something's been flipped, there's no point in going there anymore. But it also lets you have instances where you're not, where you don't have to use one specific person and, um, you know, it gives you a chance to yell at your friends when they forget that there's a, that they just flipped a Robeast token and then immediately walk back over it. Yeah, which did happen a couple of times in our first playthrough. Yeah, I think all of us made that mistake at least once. Ah, yes. I gotta so, yes, say, for, for a game for a six to t- to twelve year, it is definitely too old. twelve year olds is definitely too old for that game. But six to eight, yeah, I gotta say for what it was, I think it does what it sets out to do, which was a fun, easy game for young kids who are interested in Voltron in the eighties to play. So yeah. there's also a, a great deal of nostalgia. I didn't have that nostalgia because. I've never actually watched any Voltron, especially as a kid, but I could see how, not even I could see how, but I, I did have fun playing the game. I, I, however, watched every episode of Voltron as a kid, and I don't think the game is great. I think it is a good, simple game for kids. I do, however, think there is potential in there that some of the mechanics that are in there could be put into a very good game. True. Like, somebody could make a good game about this concept. In the hunt for good mechanics, this one has a few gems that we might return to. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the next game we played was one of those play-to-win games that I had actually uh, watched. There, there's a good uh, YouTube video about it. It's called Pass Tally, where they interview the designer who is from Japan and does not speak any English. So they have a translator. Uh, translator's okay, but not but a little rough. So it makes it a little hard to follow sometimes what he's trying to say. I really liked Pass Tally. So did I. I I really enjoyed playing this game. Pass Tally is, for those of you who have played Suro, it is a lot like Suro. It's like Suro combined with Upwards. And for those of you who haven't played that, you start off with these four, so you, there's four sides to a board. It's a square board with lines crisscrossing it. There, there's, uh, what, eight lines on each side or something? Eight or six. I think it might be eight. Eight. Basically, there's a checkerboard with the lines in between them, and the lines in between are the ones you're actually interested in, and you're trying to connect your square on one side of the board to your square on on one of the other three sides of the board, and the number of pieces that it goes through are your score. 
And then you can stack one piece on top of another piece on top of another piece. And eventually, you know, it goes from you're getting two or three lines because you're going through two or three tokens to you're getting 20 or 30 points because you're going back through the same five or six point square two or three times. And it really becomes it was really interesting because at first it was all about maximizing your own score. Then we got into a period where the two of us were trying to fight to keep other people from getting good scores. And then it turned back into a maximization game at the end. Yeah, I found that rather interesting because you could theoretically play it exclusively either way. Yes. And, and uh, it doesn't require you to be cutthroat to be successful in this game. It just encourages you or hints at the possibility that this is the best way to, to um, you know, make use of the tokens that you're placing. And sometimes it's the only intelligent option because, you know, to get uh, an improvement in your own pathing, which will get you more points this time around, sometimes it just cuts the path of somebody else this time. Yeah, I I think in general playing more aggressively is not necessarily smart play because each player has four squares, which means that they theoretically have two or even three options at any given time. So you can limit them for a short period of time, but you can't limit them for the whole game. That said, there's three different countdown timers because if you exhaust a pile, you're out, the, the game ends. If you go over if you go over 50 points, the game ends and there was a third timer that I forget what it was. But there's three different time pressures, which means you can't really just sort of flounder for too long. Like you can you can delay for a turn or two, but you can't just sort of lock somebody out for a long period of time. They at yeah. some point they're going to catch up again. And I feel like that was part of the design. It was just that whole mm. idea of hey, you know what? You can only do this, and it's only going to get because there's multiple ways to play the game. If you're taking it leisurely, that cap on the items makes it possible for you to just run out of pieces without because because you're not playing for the aggressive high scores um you're right. just looking to make a fun little path and, and score points off of it so eventually you just run out of pieces but at the same time if you're playing aggressively you can run down the game fast by just scoring a lot of points so it, in a way it it helps to boost that whole concept of you're not playing this. Uh, you're not playing this just one way. There's multiple ways that you can play this game and get a successful result. Right. Well, when I, when I meant aggressively, I meant like attacking your opponent as or, or yeah, that's what I was talking about okay. too. Yeah. Sorry, I thought I thought you were you meant just sort of building up slowly. Um, and I think this is actually sort of a theme of this weekend, looking over all of the games that we played. But something that I really liked about Pastali is. I mean, we were basically overlapping each other the entire game. Like, I'd get a couple points ahead of you, you'd get a couple points ahead of me. And it wasn't until, like, the last, like, two turns before the end where I finally broke ahead far enough that you kind of really needed to to get a great turn to catch up to me. And I think almost every game we we played this weekend, except for, like, one, on one that you didn't play with me, um... All of our, all of those games were like that. It was all like down to that last turn, maybe two turns. And yeah, I think that's really a modern thing. Yeah. Trying to keep things interesting for the entire run because nobody likes the idea of, you know, being shut out of a game for the majority of it and knowing that you're not actually going to get anywhere. That can be very frustrating. But I, but I also liked that they did it without it feeling like the, the Mario party problem where 
you can look back and say, oh, no, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I should have done. You know, we were close, but without it being like a total crapshoot right up until the end of I don't actually know who's winning. I don't know who's losing. It's going to be random. Like, it's there is still definitely – it is reasoned play. It is close play, but there is a very definite winner and loser, and you can see it, see it coming. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's that's a really nice thing. And it, it you know, we – We've talked before that I've been designing some games and it's something that makes me go back and relook at some of those because that is, I think, a really nice mechanic of not immediately just throwing somebody under the bus in two turns. Yeah, because you want – that's one thing that I, I like – I appreciate and that's a, a good sign of a game. Uh, that's a good sign of a good game for me is that idea that I am losing at this game yep. and I'm still having fun. Yeah, you, we said that about a couple of games actually Absolutely. and we're – we're going to get into a couple of them later. But yeah, like uh, one of the games that we'll talk about in a bit, like I didn't even realize I had lost until we, I told the final turn. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so you should talk about the next game because I know we both really liked this one. Oh, Azul. Yes. Yeah. So this game has been out for a while now. Um, Azul is, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like a, a almost like a crazy bingo um push your luck almost as well so the way that this game works is you have a sudoku a little bit and a little sudoku yeah so you you have uh so many tiles on the table and each table each tile has a random uh assortment of four pieces sort of like mancala yeah, kind of, but completely not like Mancala. No, so but in the sense person, that you have a little bit of uh, little piles on each one. Yeah. So every person um, takes a turn um, by picking either – they can either pull one color off of one of those tiles and then they have to push all the remaining pieces into the center. Or they can pull one color in its entirety from the center and then they line them up in rows on their playing board. And yep. the rows are varying in length. One, two, three, four, five. And I think six, or is it only going to No, five? just five, because there's just only five, five, five yeah, rows. Yeah, because that's right. Um, beside that, those rows is a five by five grid. So after everyone exhausts all the pieces in in front of everybody, you then have uh, any any row that you complete, you put that colored piece into the, I call it the bingo section. Um yeah, because because okay. each row has one of the colors. So you, you once that color sort of like piece a cr- is there, what crazy quilt like a quilt? It looks like a quilt. Yeah, it's also yeah bingo quilt. We'll call it the bingo quilt. Bingo quilt. So you move. So when you complete a row, you put one of those pieces in your bingo quilt, and then you can't put that color in that row again. Right. Um, and then there's some other crazy stuff. That that's kind of like the basics. So you want to get like rows of of pieces in your bingo quilt because that's how you score more points and, and I, you should I don't also need to go crazy with the elaboration of that i'm trying not to no no and, and the, the one other thing that i think is well the two other things i think are important is you can only move a piece from the row that it is in so you you know so you can only move a piece into that row but you can only you can't then put a piece into that row so there's one two three four five so if you fill up say the first row with a black square, you can never put a black square in the one space again, which means then you have to get a two square or three square or four square. So it's a little bit of a Yahtzee. And also if you have more pieces than you can fit into that row, they count as negative points. And that's where it gets into that little bit of push your lock and a little bit of getting to uh, be antagonistic where you can say, Oh, I know that Luke really needs three black pieces 
I'm going to make sure he winds up with four so that he loses some points. Yeah, it's great because it, it's it's very clever and far more strategic in the gameplay than you would first think. I yes. think my note about this game was that when you first look at it, it looks really, really complex. Yeah. Then you learn the rules and you realize, oh, it's not that complex. And then you play the game and suddenly it's complex again. It's it's this amazing, hard to describe, um, easy, not easy, uh, straightforward, fun, relaxing, and stressful yes. at the same time. This game is, because it's so hard to describe, and the way it makes you feel is also so hard to describe, but it's definitely one I want to play again. I, I feel like I was, like, literally we were one, not not even a full turn, like one round into the game, and we all immediately were like, oh, okay, this is how you play it. And then we were about three turns into the game, and we are like, Oh no, this is how you play it. Exactly. It's, yes. it's, it's definitely a game that unfolds itself to you as you play. And that's what I really love about that. There's one mechanic that I do want to point out that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And that's the, um, first player tile. So there's a specific tile oh, in the yeah. middle that starts out. And the first person to take pieces out of the center of the board gets to start first. But here's the really cool twist. You also have to put that first player's to- uh, square in your um, your Negative penalty points. row. So you lose a point for starting first, but you can do it. Yep. I-, I did that a lot, and I thought it was really a good way of balancing. So you have the opportunity to start first for the next round, which is a very advantageous position to be in. Yep. But it does cost you. Yep. And here's the other thing. Well, and also there there is some real strategy because I actually waited a couple times because I knew you would probably pounce on the first piece first, but I knew you weren't going to pull the things that I wanted. So I waited until you grabbed it and then was able to grab the things I wanted without having to break first. But what I think really is a great sign of how awesome the mechanics of this game and how crunchy they are is that we've gotten through this without talking about the one thing that first got us to play this game. The looks. The game looks incredible. It's like you're playing with star uh, starbursts. Oh yes, I I actually have in my notes here. It's a delicious looking game. Did I say it this is, already? No, you didn't. We we yeah. we went through the whole game without talking about the appearance. It, this game looks so good. The colors it are does. so vibrant, and they make my mouth water because they do look like starbursts. It's great. It is it is a beautiful. It is a beautiful game. It is a fun game. It is an intelligent. Well, I think of. There are several games that I would recommend, but I, I think Azul, and I mean, you don't need us to tell you everybody said how amazing Azul is, but Azul is amazing. It's a great game. Yes, it is. And it's about $30 on Amazon, so take a look at it. Yeah. And they, they do actually have two sequels, uh, Azul Summer Palace or Pavilion and Azul Sangrata or something, Sangria. Um, we will have to try those later. I've heard the other two are not as good. Uh, I know su- Summer Pavilion, some people really like, some people don't, but the, the middle one is not as well liked. Mm. Yeah, definitely but, some stuff that I want to look into. Yes. Uh, you should talk about your next game, and then I'll talk about my next game. Okay. Um, my, I guess my next game would be Twilight Struggle. I'm trying to remember if there was anything in between. I think that's right. No, okay. So I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. So after Azul, because I do, I do remember this now. After Azul, oh right, I went upstairs to check out uh, the flip the table guys brought a special game that they had, which I wanted to see. There will be pictures on the posting 
related to this uh, podcast for um, Muppet Battlestar Galactica. So I went up there and I took some pictures and I checked it out and it's absolutely gorgeous. I've never played Battlestar Galactica, so it's probably a good thing that I didn't join these uh, heavy-duty, hardcore Battlestar players that were playing this game because they probably would have thrown me out. Editors know Luke technically has played Battlestar Galactica once. <laughs> Not well enough to be good. Anyway, Fair enough. So I went up there and I checked that out for about an hour. Um, and then I came back downstairs and you were in a game which you're going to talk to talk about next. Yeah, I'll talk about next. Um, so I, I said to myself, okay, so I want to play a game. How am I going to do this? So one of the thing, great things about Granite Game Summit is they have these giant signs called Players Wanted, and anyone can set up a game and put up this sign, and people will come and they'll join your game. So I said to myself, I'm just going to look for a Players Wanted sign. I'm going to sit down there, and I'm going to play whatever's there. So I saw across the room players wanted sign and i recognized the guy who was sitting there we played with him last year for a few games yes we play tested his game uh, i don't think it was the same guy actually it might have been yeah it was the guy we, he play tested ours and we play tested his okay yeah so um i don't remember his name but hey dude uh we play twilight struggle together awesome um so <laughs> i i sat down and i said you know how long's this game last he says three hours and i went oh no <laughs> Because I wasn't really prepared to spend three hours in, in a game. Um, it was more than three hours. Oh, yeah. That game was long. It was I probably almost four. such a headache playing this game. I committed to it, and, and I went ahead and I played it. So Twilight Struggle is a – I'd say it's a Euro game. Would you call it a Euro game? Kind of. Mm. It's like a it is, it is an American game, but it, it has Euro – It has taste of Euro to it. It – because yes. Euro isn't just for anybody there who's like uh, who might listen to our podcast because we talk about video games. So Twilight it is considered a, a strategy or war game. Yes, which war game seems about right. It's not really a war game because you don't. It's not exactly about war. It's about the Cold War, which is, it is interesting. About, it is about trying to keep the Cold War from going hot. He also made uh, the guy who made this also made 1960 Making of the President, which is also very, uh, which is very similar type of game. So uh, I don't really dig into Euro games that often. If someone throws one at me, I'll play it with them. But it's not something I seek out. They're, they're usually very elaborate, very complex. And and being an ADD poster child as I am, I have difficulty focusing on games like this. But I focused. I really dug in and I played this game. And I have to say, I really liked what it was doing. Because uh, half the time, like the the core way that you play this game is by pushing your influence for the country that you're playing into uh, smaller countries and trying to control more of the map than your opponent. Um, and, but it's what's really interesting is besides the fact that you do score, if you end the game normally, you, you go through all eight uh, cycles, turns, um, you will essentially... Um, I'm drawing a blank again. Uh, you'll... You'll score for each, uh, essentially for each region that you have dominance over. Correct. You can play cards that allow you to score points because you, you, there is a, a, a scoring slider in, on the board. And dominance sort of spreads like risk, but with points from these cards. Yeah. You, you have to be a J, you have to have adjacent influence. Um, you run ops, you spend points on cards in your hand to, to, um, 
to run these ops to improve your influence in these um in these other countries. The cool thing about that is, well, one thing is is the cards are are coded to different to the two different countries. So mm-hmm. if you're say Russia and you play a U.S. card for the ops, it triggers the event on the card in benefit of the U.S. So like it might say U.S. gets Siberia. Well, Siberia's in Russia, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh, U.S. gets uh, Greenland. Greenland. I don't think Greenland's on there anyway. But um, <laughs> so if you play that for ops, the the thing that it, the card says happens for the U.S. So and then you have um, Russian ones, which you choose to either run for the ops or uh, cause the event to happen. Um, so it's like a balancing act the entire time. Yeah, it, re- it really is about should I play this card now for my, the benefit to myself or should I deny my opponent that card? Exactly. Yeah. And that's how I played it because I found out pretty quickly I'm not very good at that that tactical um, running. Because like he played smart and what what you can do is you can play for coups. When you cause a coup in a country, you use those ops plus a die roll to flip that country against right. you. Um, and he was doing that a lot. And when you do it in the uh, war zone countries, the dangerous countries, it pushes the uh, the doomsday clock ahead an hour. And you – or no, not the, the DEFCON. It's the DEFCON counter. counter. Not the doomsday clock. It's the DEFCON counter. So it pushes the DEFCON counter down. And if you zero out the DEFCON meter, um, you lose the game. Yes. Everybody Which I have to say is probably my favorite mechanic in any board game ever. Yeah. I, I, I love that because it's like – it's like uh, if if you hit DEFCON zero, you started thermonuclear war. Everybody loses, but you lose more. <laughs> yes, I love it. it. It's 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 a beautiful. It's concept. the Joshua principle. So um so he was pushing that hard, and he was keeping that DEFCON as low. Yeah, I saw as, him riding that pretty hard. Yeah, he was keeping it as low as possible so that I couldn't do coups to counter him. Yeah. So he was pushing for land as much as he could to try to push up his scoring. So so you score um. Uh, so, yeah, before I get into that, the scoring is really cool because they use a pendulum system. Instead of having two scoring tracks, there's a lot to talk about in this game. I'm really sorry. Instead of having two scoring tracks, one for the U.S. and one for Russia, it pulls out from the center. So at zero points, no one has any points. If I earn points, I'm actually taking them away from my v- opponent and vice versa. Tug so, of war style. What? I'm sorry? Like a tug of war. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. like a tug of war. And I love that because it allows you to do some really fun things. So if you pull out um, – if you pull hard enough on your end and you hit 20 points, you win the game, period. Yep. Game ends. If you max out the space race meter, I think you win the game. Yep. And then if you um, – if you, if you just wait till it ends, whoever has the most points um, from scoring – um, and any other beneficial things, you can win the game. So uh, I love that there's so many ways to play this game because it allowed me to actually turn the tables and win this ridiculous game just through um, very strategic placing of cards, which in many other games I don't think I would have had that opportunity to do. No, and that is and that is the thing about war games is a lot of war games have two or three alternate victory conditions. Um and and yeah, I, a lot of people say that the Twilight Struggle is one of the better games of this style. And I I'm terrible at the game, uh, but I would totally agree with them. Uh it is a 
it is a game that I'm fascinated by and I'm terrible at it, but I still just, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. And, I'm, um, and it's been around for 15 years. I'm, I'm kind of sad because now that I've had this experience, I don't think I'm gonna, ever going to have it again. Cause if I no. play this, if I play this guy, he knows now he, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's definitely going to be watching out for that and he's going to be much harder to beat. And I don't think I'll luck out like that again. Cause I think I had a, fortunate series of events but it did make this game a lot of fun well i should i i will point out that the 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 game on amazon i i want to just sort of run through prices as we come up to each game uh twilight struggle is about 55 bucks on amazon so that's not a bad price for that game that's actually a really reasonable price for what's in that box and you can also buy it on steam or on ios for uh ten dollars it might be cheaper on iOS. I have to, I'd have to double check, but I have it on both. Uh, so you you could get it for ten, five, ten, fifteen dollars uh, if you want to try it, and you could play it against people online. So that's kind of cool. Or you can yeah. play it against the PC, which is also pretty cool. Uh, PC is really hard. I should point out, but it it yeah, it's a it's a it's a four hour game though. Be prepared. Mm. Or it's 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 faster with the app, but not much faster. That game is there's a lot of thinking involved. Yeah, I, I I also have to say that uh, I ended up with a bad headache after that, just because yeah. I was straining. Like the, you have these cards, and you have to pick the right card for the scenario, and you don't want to. You can very easily inadvertently give your uh, your opponent something that wins them the game. There's yeah. a couple of times where where like I I pulled a stunt that worked really well. Um, because I, I was kind of hoping, and you know, I had five cards in my hand, one card, if he took it, he'd be forced to discard it. And it was a scoring card Mm -hmm. and he wanted that card Yep. and he pulled it, but he was trying to explain to me that if he got the right card, he could force nuclear war and I would lose because it was on my turn. Right. And I, I stopped and I had to look through my hand and be like, okay, I got to make sure I'm not giving him the opportunity to cause a coup to occur. I'm like, okay, I don't think so. But even then, I'm going to take the risk because I'm hoping he'll take the right card. And he did. And it was beautiful because he kind of screamed a little bit. Nice. And see, this is, this is a sign of a good game. And I think this is a sign of s- several of the games that we've, we've, we're going to be talking about. It leads to, anic- it leads to stories. And stories are what make, in my mind, stories are what make games real. Because, like, we could talk, we could talk all day about, and we do, uh, we could talk all day about the mechanics and the themes and that sort of stuff, but it's the stories that you remember. Like, yeah. in a year or two, we won't, you know, I mean, I'll probably remember how Azul plays, but, you know, you will always remember some of those moments from Twilight Struggle. And that's also why playing some of these games a second time, like, it's okay with some of these that you don't play them a second time because the story is the part that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And speaking of games with stories about them, who boy, uh, Middle Earth Quest. I kind of let Luke go first because I'm a little bit uh, scared to talk about this. <laughs> um, that was sh- a that was a very chunky looking game, wasn't it? It is less chunky than I actually thought it was going to be, which is which is actually okay. Uh, you cannot buy this game. Uh, right now, it is it is no longer in print. It is by uh, Fantasy Flight Games, who has done many of the games that we like quite a bit. Um, it is kind of a reskinning of Arkham Horror, and I think it works better in this case. Uh, because, so it's about 
It is about the period of time between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, where Sauron is trying to sort of find out what's going on with the ring, and you play a group of people who are trying to prevent him from finding out what's going on with the ring. Um, so you, it, it's a competitive co-op game where one team is working together against Sauron and the other guy plays the bad guys. Uh, so it was me and one other player. I played a, I played a, an elf ranger and he played a human scholar. And I spent most of my time just sort of wandering around in the woods and getting beaten up. <laughs> um, and so one of the really interesting things is each side has a secret objective and you have to last a certain number of turns. There, there are a couple of ways that the bad guy can instantly win. Otherwise, based on how many, uh, event or story cards, quest cards are out, the bad guy's tokens move forward on this timer. Your tokens move forward to each turn. Theirs moves forward zero unless they have cards out, at which point they move one, two, or three. So it's a, it's, it's a lot like pandemic in that way. They have influence that spreads out and you have to sort of go around and knock down their influence and knock out their quest cards. And you have to do little quests to get favor cards. However, our uh, quest, our goal for the game, our secret objective was to collect more than five favor cards, which meant we couldn't necessarily use them, except you have to use them because that's how you shut down these, these things that he has, the quests. So it was a lot of us trying to go around, find these favors, get back, shut things down. And it was amazing because he went into, he went into Mordor twice, killed monsters, got back out, had to go back in to solve, finish another quest, got in there, got training from Saruman, got back out. And, you know, so every time you land on a space, you have to go through a test and either fight a monster or suffer something and have an encounter and, and various things like that. Story, story type stuff. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, was just lost in the wood. Oh yeah. So another thing is you draw five cards each turn and those cards are both your f cards that you use for fighting and the cards you use for movement. They have symbols on one side for movement. They have symbols on the other side for fighting and they all do separate attacks. Like I had one that was a ranged attack that did three damage, uh, sort of like, um, Guild of Dungeoneering. That sort of attack style where ah. there's, there's, uh, there's, uh, hits and, and shields and based on how those miss, uh, but each one has special abilities. Like one that I use to great effect is one where if they play the same, you have ranged and melee attacks. If they play the same type of attack twice in a row, you do double damage. So you do six damage total. And a lot of his characters only had hit points of four to five. So, you know, you could bait him into using the same thing twice and then kill him. You know, I had another ability that lets me him forces him to play his next attack face up. So you could use little things like that. Um, really clever as far as that goes, because you have to be careful about how many cards you're using to move versus how much you're budgeting for fighting. A lot of really cool stuff with that. But yeah, I, so I spent a lot of my time just sort of wandering around in the woods, picking up favor tokens and fighting bosses and trying to get around. And then he kept dropping his big, tough minions, which are basically like mini bosses around me so that I'd have to run back in the other direction. But it all culminated in one turn, two turn, or the turn right before the game ended, me running across half of the map, picking up two favor tokens, meeting up with somebody, clearing out a quest, picking up another favor token, and stumbling into the middle of Bree. Like half, like basically I ran the entire length of the map, 
grabbed two people as I ran through, and we all dived into into a town together. And it was the most incredible moment. And then he summoned uh, the ringwraiths, and I could not move. <laughs> <laughs> but, so here's the story of how this all ends. So this is the first time he had ever seen this happen. If both of if both his token and our token gets to the end of the track at the same time, the finale track, whoever has completed their mission, has completed their objective, wins. We both completed our objective. So if both of you have completed your objective, it comes down to a single fight between one of your characters and the ringwraiths. Or no, the, the Witch King. The Witch King. Okay. So basically, we both drew a hand of cards, me and my friend, me, me and the other person I was playing with, and then we had to just have a straight out one on, mano on mano duel. And I got the, be- I got the better hand of cards. And I said, I am 100% com- can't tell them what you have, but I said, I am 100% confident that I can win. One of the cards that I had pulled was a card that I had gotten the very first turn of the game and had never actually gotten in my hand, which was a card that if they played a card with zero shields on it, I instantly killed them. Ooh. So I baited him into using that play a card face up. First card he played face up, had a shield on it, didn't play it. Forced him to play another card face up. It didn't have a shield on it. I killed him while I had one hit point left and won the game. <laughs> That's now, awesome. The, 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 the flip the table guys once talked about how you could play a four and a half hour game of Battlestar Galactica and it could come down to a single die roll and how despite that technically being a roll and move game, because of at the very last turn, it still feels amazing because you have to play well to get to that point. And this is very much a similar thing where we only got even got to that point because we had played well the entire game and both sides played really well. And it was amazingly tense even to, to that point because we were both on pins and needles. It was a four and a half hour game and we were on pins and needles the whole time. It was an incredible game. That is cool. It is a real... It, I'm not sure I would play it again for similar reasons to Twilight Struggle. You know, it feels like a game that you play once and it's an incredible moment, but I'm not sure I would want to play it again. I think maybe I'll put that on my games to try while you're doing something else list for next year. If you could find him. And as far as I know, he's the only one I've ever seen who has a copy of that game. <laughs> but and then we sh- and then the last game that we played that night or the last game I played that night wait, wait. is. Oh. No, there's two other games that we played. We played well, Metro X. That was the next day. Was it? Yeah. Friday, Friday, the last game we played was Root. Oh, well, you, you played, played the Root. Ghostbusters game. I played the Ghostbusters game and you played okay, uh, I'll talk, Root. Okay, I'll talk about Root and then you can talk about uh, Ghostbusters. Go for it. So Root was a really popular game two years ago. Uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down guys did a uh, video about it a couple years ago, which I would I would highly recommend. Uh, well, if, uh, if we remember, we'll link it in the, um, in yeah, the I'll, I'll, notes. I'll try to link it. Um, I disagree with them on a lot. In this one, I actually do kind of agree with him. Uh, it is uh, $50 on Amazon. Oh, it's by the guy. Remember the year before we played that game where you're in the cave and one player plays the cave and one player plays the dragon? Yeah, I got I got pictures of that. I mean, we can throw that in as well. It was, uh, what was that game called? Crystal Caverns or something? Yeah. Colossal so. Caverns. So Root is by the same designer. Oh, really? Yes. That explains a lot, because it has the same styling. It has the same styling, and it has kind of the same problems. Oh. Um, so. Yeah, he's a fan of the whole asynchronous gameplay, isn't he? He is. And I, and I will say, it works better in Root. 
Crystal Caverns was a mess. It was a good idea with terrible execution. Unfortunately, because I Unfortunately. really wanted to like that game. Root, Root gets around that a little bit by simplifying it. There is not as much going on. And I think that is both a good and a bad thing. Um, I will say, I think Root is a fun game. I think it's a beautiful game or a cute game. It's the gorgeous. Art, I love is, the design of this game. Yeah, the design is incredible. The you and I talked a couple times like this is a game that feels like it was inspired by video games the UI the quote unquote UI like there is tutorials all over everything everything has little hints and reminders every time you look at the screen like this is made by somebody who understands how modern games are designed to walk you through things and it shows in every aspect however it is asynchronous and while on the one hand that is awesome because it means you everybody gets to do different things we had one guy who was playing as the cats who basically play like an RTS. I was playing as the birds, which kind of play like a deck builder. And a third guy was playing as the mice, who kind of, I'm not even sure how to describe it. They basically blow up other people and use that to sort of spread out from different locations. And all of those are really cool. And all of, and I want to try the other ones now. Having played the one that I played, I want to try the others. But also it makes balancing really hard. It is a game that feels like it is designed to be balanced by players, not so much by the mechanics. And when you have two people who are new, it makes it a lot harder to balance. I see. So there is kind of a – so we wound, we wound up ending that game. One person hit 30 points and the other two of us were at nine. Ouch. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. And to be fair, I was in a position where – that last turn, if I had gone, if, if my plan had worked, we probably, I probably would have been able to catch up, but it didn't. And that, you know, and that's okay. They're, they have alternate victory tracks. Um, I don't know. It is a game that I would really have to play again. I think there is a lot of really cool stuff about it. It is definitely a game that I think everybody should try. I'm not sure I like it. I think I, I respect it. I'm not sure I enjoy it. No, that's backwards. I enjoy it. I'm not sure I like it. Ah, yeah. I'm. I'm just gonna say right now. Um, I took some pictures of this game because it I am gorgeous. enamored in the styling. That alone, I like. You're telling me when I'm when we're there. You're like, I don't think you're gonna like this game. I don't think Amy's gonna like it either. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I have to own this game. It's just that beautiful. I may never play it, but man, is it gorgeous. Well, that that that's sort of what I mean. Is it is a it is a beautiful game. It is a cool game. I'm not sure that it's a game that I like playing and it's not, I'm not sure it's a game that I would necessarily even, I will play it again because you really want to play it and I will play it again because you want to. I'm not sure that left to my own devices is, it is a game that I would play a second time. All right. It is certainly not a game that I would necessarily, well, I don't know because at the same time, I'm just like, you know, if I played it again, I could do this differently this time and maybe I could do this and I don't know. I, I, I need some time away from that game and then to come back to it again. And I'll, I'll have a better review next year. All right. Yeah. So we'll play that again. So stay tuned uh, for next year when we'll talk about this game again. Yes. And you should talk about the Ghostbusters game because I yeah. want to hear about this. Yeah, that was um that was interesting. So this game was pretty much inspired by the um, original 80s Ghostbusters game. Uh, this was made. This game that I played was made by Chris. Again, oh, and flip the table from flip the table. Yeah, he he obviously he he made a podcast around cheesy, weird and obscure, obscure board games. So what does he do? He makes a cheesy, weird and obscure board game. It's fantastic into a cheesy, weird and obscure board game. 
cheesier, weirder, more obscure. <laughs> so I um You should give that to him as a tagline for it. I I should. Um so this I I'm just gonna say right now, this game is a labor of love. He designed this game so that uh future generations can enjoy it, but it's it's not something he's gonna publish because there's obvious copyright issues because it is built around the, the Ghostbusters franchise. But it's something he wanted to make because uh he knows it'll be fun um to play. And it's pretty straightforward. Um, you get like a, a board in front of you that has uh, it tracks your fuel, it tracks your traps, and it tracks your Ghostbusters. And so a general turn goes uh, pretty straightforward. Um, you can move as much as you want. You're just going to spend fuel doing it, I think. Yes. Um, you drop off Ghostbusters at different uh, buildings in the city. Um and then depending on where you drop them off, they can do different things. If they drop out of, off at a building with a ghost or so many ghosts um, at it, you can fight the ghosts. You have a die for each Ghostbuster. If you do not succeed in knocking out the ghosts, you can sacrifice a Ghostbuster who gets slimed uh, and then roll again. And then when you uh, when you knock down the number of ghosts to zero... Uh, in in a building or down to one, that ghost will flee, and you can choose where where it flees to. And so, um, you you run around dropping guys off to to clear out ghosts to keep the ghost level down. Um, you can drop off guys at shops and buy spare parts. You can drop the guys off at the gas station to fuel up your um your ecto one. If you run out of gas, you end up back at your base with a full tank of gas, but um, you lose a turn doing that. Now, and is then, this a cooperative or a, or a competitive it's, game? It's cooperative. Everybody gets their own. Um, everyone gets their own headquarters in a corner of the city. Their own okay. car and their own Ghostbusters. So then, um, oh yeah, you could drop guys off at your base, and they can do each guy you drop off at your base can do two actions. They can either develop research. They can make stuff out of the spare parts and the research that you've developed. And they can refresh your traps, which because you can only use a trap at each building, so that's crucial to playing the game. Um, so uh, yeah, and and the entire idea is to keep the number of ghosts down for a certain number of of turns as okay. the game progresses. Every turn um, that plays, you flip a card and it tells you where and how many ghosts uh, spawn in different buildings. If they overflow in a building, the PKE E level uh goes up a notch and once it maxes out you lose okay so it's so it is sort of i, I was sort of imagining it as like a pandemic e forgotten island type thing so it, it is sort of like inspired by the, yeah or adopting some of that well there's there's two things so uh, technically you don't lose um if the pke level spikes out everybody has one chance with the items that they have to fight the stay puffed marshall marshmallow man and the first person to defeat it wins the game okay if you can manage to defeat it i wish i'd managed to play this it's it's a lot of fun. It's really cool, and I'm, I'm hoping he, he he was it was definitely in um it was in balancing stage. He he was still yeah. playing around with the amount of fuel, how the traps behave, the cost of some of the stuff. Um, just because like he's right on the line, and it seems like it's really easy to overload, um, overload the city spike yep. quickly. So he was working out how many uh, PKE notches to put in the game because it it kind of went a little fast. Yep. And we kind of died a little fast. We didn't have time to build enough stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And you make money from uh, defeating ghosts, which is used to buy the spare parts, which are – Makes sense. And build the tools that you use. 
including traps, which are very cheap. But yeah, I thought this game was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Which leads me to ask, mm-hmm. did playing Ghostbusters the game make you feel good? Da, 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 da. Best theme song ever. <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. I love, I love the Ghostbusters theme song. Okay, so I guess that was day one. Yeah, so the next day we came in, and the first game we grabbed uh, was Metro X. Yes. Which I guess makes us Metro Xuals. You can just go ahead and cut that right out. <laughs> um. So we were playing with a gentleman who got very, very flustered by this game. But Yeah, poor guy. It's... It's not that it is actually a fairly simple and straightforward game, all things considered. Uh, it's actually a lot like our favorite game of last year. Let's build a bus route. Let's make a bus route. Yeah, let's make a bus route. Let's make a bus route. That was a cute game. Why don't you talk about it a little? Uh, try to give a. So essentially, Metro X uh, plays fairly straightforward. You have a stack of cards uh, in the middle of the table, and you flip one card at a time, and it has a number on it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of both the number of passengers and how many stops. So on your card, which you'll be able to see because it'll be easier to see than describe. It'll be in the notes. On your yeah. card is a row of train cars, and each one is a train route. You pick one of the cars. You write the number in the window, filling up one space in that train, and then you cross out train stops to that number. So like if you get four, you put a four in one window, and you cross off four stops on that route and the idea is is in an entire cycle of the game you want to cover as many of those with stops as you can and you can't you can't go over you can't go over a uh previously checked stop unless um unless you intersect intersecting stop yeah an intersecting stop so like if red crosses over yellow and you've already done red to that spot and you've got like one space and you draw a three card you you can go that one but you can't use the other two x's you, you're you're done with that 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 correct card. and and the each, next card you could go on further right and each train only has a certain number of spaces that you can fill in so like the red line you actually only have two spaces and a space can be uh three four and the cards are three four five six and a couple of skips so you know you can only put in a maximum of two of two cards which means the lowest you can get is uh five points and the maximum you could get in any square is in, on the red line is 10 and the red line is eight spots total. So you, you have to be fairly efficient. I think Luke and I both wound up with exactly 36 points. Yep. Um, we both, which means we both had about three circles left over. Um, but yeah, it is. And we both, we both wound up with completely taking completely different routes, which I find actually really surprising. Uh, the game is $15 and it's recommended for ages eight and up, which I think is actually probably just about right. Yeah. I, I agree. Even, I would even say a little younger if you want to get the, if they're, if they're precocious with math, cause it is a kind of a mathy game. It's a really nice balance of mathy, but also just random enough that you don't feel like you have to be super good at calculating things out, which I think is what was throwing the guy we were playing with. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of, uh, instances. The big, uh, downside to this game is like working out, um, what paths will actually get you. Yeah. Um. The best effect, because there's instances like uh in the second half of the board, the the 
the train routes get convoluted. Yes. And so you might think, oh, if I put it in here, it'll go all the way out to here. And then, oh, no, wait, no, it, it turns here or it gets cut off there. And, and there's a lot more thinking. For such a simple looking board game, it's far more complex than you would first think. There, There's a lot of there, there's a lot of ordering of attack like you have to say which which of these am i yeah there's a lot of sort of balancing of things because it's also a race because you also have to like finishing tracks first scores you more points than finishing them second so if everybody is all just trying to fill out the same track you know it's a really nice balance and uh there is actually a great picture on their website that is like literally the picture of the board so i think it'll give people good a sort of a good idea I don't love it, but I really, really like that game. I and I actually played it twice because I played it while you were watching the reunion show with the the gentleman that we were oh yeah playing Hearthrob with. It, and I I actually got thirty six points again, um, with a completely different route and a completely different set of draws, and it really does seem to be about you know being good at planning ahead. Absolutely, yeah. Which I'm not great at, and I was kind of surprised that I won both of those games. Yeah, definitely. I definitely put this game in, like, I would spend the money on it, but I would never say no to someone saying, hey, let's play this. Yeah, although it is 15 bucks, which means, you know, it's a great one to sort of have in your back True. pocket. I, I guess for $15, it might be worth picking up. Yeah, that's that's sort of my thought. If if it was more than that, no. But for 15 that that might be something I will put grab for a back pocket kind of game. Like, play it out while you're at a coffee shop or something. Okay, I guess the next game we played uh, was a bit of a shootout. Uh, no, the next game we played was... Actually, the next game we played was about 45 minutes of... That's the name of my band. Oh, yeah! I which guess got would... great reviews. Yes, surprisingly enough, our game is actually good. <laughs> that part didn't surprise me. The amount of people who gave it good reviews surprised me. Actually, what most surprised me... Because I wasn't expecting this to be a problem is it was impo- or almost impossible to get people to start playing that game. But what amazed me is halfway through a round, nobody wanted to stop playing the game. Hey, I, I got a great story for that. You were there for this, so you're going to be hearing the same story. But uh, as an example of that, one of the um, volunteers, I think she was a volunteer. Yes. She came in to sit and see us playing this game. I guess her, I guess the guy who was playing with us was a friend of hers. Yeah. She came in to sit down and just watch us play. And after like two rounds, decided she wanted to be dealt in. She was exhausted. She had no intention of playing anything, but she ended up jumping in and owning us in this yes. game. She was very good. And then um, brought her, and then brought her boyfriend over to meet me several hours later because she couldn't, she had to tell him about how awesome the game was, which to me is probably the best sign of how it was just like, that makes me feel awesome. Yes, me too. The and fact I that love, people are, I, are selling the game for me. <laughs> that's that's what you want. You want yeah. people to sell this game. Um, and I definitely got to say I'm proud of what we've put together yeah. here. I think that this game has legs and we can probably do something great with it. Yeah, that, that really – it really convinced me like this is a game that makes people happy. And even if, you know, even if it doesn't make a million dollars, like – it is a game that everybody who has played it has laughed and has had fun, and I have never walked away from it without at least one band, without at least one person saying, "Man, I got to remember that one because that one was hilarious." And tell somebody later, which you know we've said before, stories are the sign of a good game. Absolutely. The next game that we played was Wings. I think it was Wingspan. I feel like there was something in between. 
Um, no, I, it was Wingspan. I really like Wingspan. Yeah, it, not a big surprise considering uh, how big of a hit uh, Wingspan was, what, one or two years ago? Last year. Last year it was last the year. game of the show. Everybody wanted to play it. Yeah, I mean. I think and, it just came out last year. Wingspan was a, like a mega hit yep. no matter what. Anyway, everybody was talking about it. I was definitely interested. And we and finally got to sit gorgeous. down and play a game. And it exceeded my expectations. I expected it to be like, okay, yeah, this is a fun game. I ended up like really liking it. I, I really did too. It, and, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. So I will point out before we start talking too much about this game that uh, it is $100 on Amazon right now. So if you don't have money to spend, you may want to fast forward. Yeah, I would say definitely if you haven't played this game, go to your nearest um, board game pub yep. place and or borrow it from a friend and play it. I, I will also say having played this, I kind of agree with some of the, some of the people who say that this is – this is a great con game. I'm not sure this is a game I would play 20 times. This is definitely a game I would play again. As far as deck builder goes, I'm not sure this is one that I would come back to frequently. Yeah, that's It's just a little too random. It is a little too random. I do appreciate that like like uh some of the other games they that we appreciated in mm-hmm. in our time at the convention, having multiple ways to score and win is nice. Because if you have just like the one solid way to win a game, it can be frustrating because like it's clear what the rules are and you know you're shut out. But like with our game, you were like, I got a pretty good lead starting out and then you pushed back. I did. You pushed back hard. But because there was an alternate way for me to score. Which I I didn't even know, which I'd forgotten about. (laughs) (laughs) I went in a completely different uh, direction, and it was it was because I was lucky enough to see that new direction yeah. that I was actually able to to turn the tables and eke out and win against you on this game. Well, I, I think th- I think there's two other major things about this game. One, again, UI does like this is another game. I really like how people are taking smart lessons from video games and bringing them back into board games, like. We've started adapting board games to video games, and now things are coming back the other way. This is another game with great, quote-unquote, UI design. Like, they had the symbols everywhere to prompt you with what you needed to do. They had ev- – everything has symbols. Everything has minders. Everything I'm, has- I'm definitely going to say right now about that, um, the whole UI thing, I was amazed by how complex and, like, um, information-rich everything was, and yet – I didn't have too much problems working out what I needed or where I needed to go. You know, I asked a couple of questions about, yeah. oh, is this what I think it is? And that was pretty much it. But there wasn't, like, even was- the more obscure things that they wanted from you, we're, we're, we were able to work out without, like, going back to the instructions 20 million times. Yeah, I, I we literally didn't read the rule book. We had somebody give us a seven-minute rule explanation, and I checked the glossary to explain what a couple of symbols meant, and that was it. Like, that game, yeah, like, th- that's how you do it. Like, just Absolutely. designers, do this. Um, what you and and also another really cool thing, and and this is, I mean, this root, Pistali, Azul, all of these games, they're sort of mashups because this game is not just a deck builder; it's also a worker placement game. Mm. And 
you know, sort of like Pastel is like Suro meets whatever, and Azul is Moncala meets Sudoku meets whatever. You know, it's like a Euro game meets other things. Like, it's really interesting because that's two really good ideas, but I'm not, I don't like worker placement games in general. And yet I really like Wingspan because I really like deck builders. Mm. And this is a deck builder that got me to play a worker placement game. True. And, you, and I, th- and I feel like you really like worker, or worker placement. I'm not sure how your feelings are on deck builders. I could take them or leave them. I, I like them well enough. It's something I will play. So, you know, this is a game that appeals to both of our interests and yet doesn't really appeal and yet half doesn't appeal to either of our interests. And yet I think it was probably one of my two favorite games of the show. I agree. It was absolutely a great game. And also it was another game where you won at the end. We both thought the other one was winning for most of the game. And we both had a fun time when we thought we were losing. Yeah. And, and another thing I really like is they put out each round has a different scoring thing. So like you said, I saw in the third, in the third round, something that I was like, Oh, I'm actually already starting to win in this. I'm just going to keep pushing for this. And then by the end of the third round, you're like, Oh, I see the strategy you're going for this round, but I managed to start doing it the second round, but you took the first two rounds because I had no way of doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it was a really neat little back and forth. And I also like the fact that, like, the the scoring, you get progressively higher value points. So, like, you could have turned that around. If I hadn't scored in other places, yeah. that would have been enough for you to win, even oh, right. though I took the first two rounds. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you're right. I We did play Finger Guns at High Noon the night before. I had forgotten about that. But you, you talk about Finger Guns at High Noon, because that was one you really wanted to play. I had heard about Finger Guns at High New from the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down guys, which I listen to fairly regularly, their podcasts. I think I like them a lot more than you do. I really like their reviews. I disagree very heavily with Quinn's on a lot of things. Paul Paul and I agreed on a lot more, I think. Anyway, so they um, they mentioned this game. So I remember uh, just recently in one of their earlier podcasts hearing them talk about finger guns at high noon and i said hey this sounds like a fun little game the problem was is we didn't have enough people we that is a game that needs at least four and i would say five to six yeah so it says is it did it say three to six or it said three to eight and that is a lie yeah i definitely say it's more like four to eight and um, i'd say i'd say eight is too many i'd say i'd say four to six maybe seven i think we'd have to at least play with eight people once yeah. For me to agree with you there. But um so it's pretty straightforward. It's like um It's actually a lot like bang. Bang or like a a mutant rock, paper, scissors mm-hmm. where certain actions will invalidate the actions of others, where you still have the tried and true straight two points of damage. So everyone has like a health card. And then there's certain hand gestures that you can do. You can do the two finger uh finger gun. I'm making finger guns, Josh can see it. None of you can. Yes. I'm so sorry. Um would you point at somebody and they take two points of damage? Um, you have uh, you use all four fingers and it's like a big ray gun. But if you get hit, um, you don't get to first, shoot it. It invalidates the fought the shot. You can um, make uh, devil horns for dynamite. Yeah, devil horns, which damages dynamite. which damages your neighbors, but also damages you. Um, if you use the lasso, you can um, capture a card on the table. But if anyone else does a lasso, nobody gets the card on the table. Well, that's the trick to most of these is if anybody else does them, you don't get to do them. Yeah. 
And then the last um, mechanic was uh, if you hold up any number of fingers, one through four, you can heal that mount. But if anyone else holds that number of fingers up, um, it will you'll both not earn points. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the biggest problem with playing this with three people is that it basically becomes I mean, it's already a bit of this, but I mean, it basically just becomes a game theory um, puzzle. Where, like, once one person starts to get ahead, they can just force the other two. I mean, they're basically, like... Yeah. You have the leader of the game... forcing something that was designed to be a little more um, social in nature. So instead of having fun and just being like, oh, what's going to happen in this big mess of messiness? Yeah. It it becomes far too uh, easy to just game it. Cause, yeah, because on my first turn, I used the lasso, grabbed a character that let me heal two damage as long as nobody shot me, or, or um, as long as uh, somebody else took damage, and then I could just basically force the rest of you two to keep fighting each other, and I, yeah, I basically never got any damage. And, you know, it's a simple, you know, I suspect when you have more people, it's, I've been studying game theory a lot the last couple couple of days, but... You know, that's what it is. Is it's 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 prisoner's dilemma stuff just over and over again. And you can optimize that with three people. You can't with five or six. True. So yeah, I, I agree with Luke. That is, it is I w- a good I idea. I really wanted to enjoy this game. Um I might with more people, but as it stands with the experience that I had at the convention, no. I, I don't think it was good enough. No, I agree. Um, and we, that was the guy, oh no, that was the guy I played Archipelago with, which is another game that we need to play someday. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to playing Archipelago with you. Yes. Uh, after that, we played, uh, Word, or actually, technically after, uh, we, oh, then we played, uh, Heartthrob. Oh, yes, we played Heartthrob. Which we don't, you don't need us to tell you about. Come listen to Flip the Table. They have a great rundown of Heartthrob. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, that's who we played it with. Yet yes. again, um, Flip is a is a regular, and I, I gotta say, I really like Flip, so I like playing with him. He's a lot of fun. I, so we I played like, a lot with Flip. I I love playing with him. I do feel a little bad because sometimes I feel like we have we monopolize him. So I try to not play every game with him. But <laughs> like the first year I was there, I played like four different games with him, and I'm like, I, I need to back off and let him have some fun with other people, not just me. Uh, but after that, we played, this may be my favorite game of the show. No, my favorite idea of the show, which is Word Jam. Yes. Word Jam is a really great idea. You really need to play it with the right group of people. Absolutely. Word Jam is a com- it is a cooperative multiplayer jumble. Yeah. With a crossword puzzle built in. And- so basically. It's it's really challenging too because uh, not only that but you you really have to think about what what you're giving people for information. Yes, Why don't there, you, you run it down like you're about to do. Sure. There, yeah. There's a lot of really interesting informational stuff. So basically, each player makes a five letter word. They then pass that word to the person on their right. That person puts the five shuffles the five cards, puts them down in a random order. Puts one of the cards in front of them face up so that they can't see it. And each person has one card. And then people around the table have to say what were, how many letters in the word they can make or that they can make a word with X number of letters using the cards that they can see. Obviously not being able to see the card directly in front of them. And from that, 
You then, oh, and there's a wild card in the middle. And then from that, you have to take the card, the letter, the word that they spell out, figure out the letters that you can't see, and then figure out what letter that is, which is ostensibly the letter in front of you. Right. And so the entire idea is that you want to, you want a word that's unique enough that from what they're missing, like their own, you want to use the letters of everyone else, but you want them to um, be able to deduce what their letter is so that they can advance. Because it's, it's semi-cooperative. Everyone is trying to get their word. Right. And then you do this for each of the five letters. So, for instance, if you – let's say you're playing with five people and one – and your letter is Q. or let's no Q. Your letter is R. But around the table, you can see A, L, E, S, and, the, and then there's a wild. You could write – Steel, S-T-E-A-L, and it would be the first person, the second person, the third person, the fourth, and you tell them what order the letters are in. Using and tokens. S- using tokens. And so the person sitting next to you would see that, okay, T-E-A, and then a wild card, and then they'd say, well, okay, so I know mine is the first letter. What other word could be T-E-A, and then have some have a wild card at the last letter? Steel, steam. Something, you know, other words. And then they'd have to try to figure out, okay, well, all of those words start with an S. So my word is, my letter is probably S. Problem is, as Luke alludes to, you know, one word that I had, one word that he tried to give me was, I didn't know what the first letter was. And the last letter was a wild. And the two letters I had were U and N. So I didn't know whether I had, and I had, or no, I had the last letter. So I didn't know whether he was trying to spell hunk or hunt. And so, you know, then you're stuck. And, you can use later later clues to narrow it down. You have like 12 turns total. But you also want to be efficient because you have 12 turns total and there's five words each. Yeah. Five letters each. So it's it's an interesting balancing act. We did manage to win with one turn left to go. Um, but I, it was touch and go there at some points. That is a game that I actually might pick up because I think it is, it is uh, really fun. Wow, not highly rated. Letter jam. Sorry, it's not word jam. It's letter jam. Whoops. Letter jam, uh, which yes is is an important one to fifteen seventy two on Amazon. Perfect, yes it is. Not a bad price. Definitely worth the price for that. I would I I may be picking that up. And you know I really love word games. I think if you're somebody who doesn't like word games or is bad at spelling, I think it would be much harder if you're if you don't like you know if you don't like reading or whatever or have dyslexia or something like that. Having dyslexia or some other inability to read would make that game pretty much impossible. Yes, absolutely, and and likewise, you know, I'd say eight, ages eight and up. Yeah, eight and up sounds good. Uh, and then we last this was our favorite game of the previous year, Fire Tower. So yes. we, we brought it out again and played twice. This yeah. game is great. Yeah, so wasn't this game um like in the developer's corner or developer alley last Couple year? year. Uh either last year or the year before. And and oh, no, it was actually... a, it was play to win last year. Oh it developers was play to alley win. two years ago. Yeah, and we, we, we absolutely love this game because um, it's so good. It looks so nice. It which does. is another theme of the show. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Let's just call it it looks so nice. So, it's got uh, 150 fire tokens that are made out of plastic. They look like fire. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It, yeah. I can see so much uh, available usage for the, the tokens as well, yeah. making them uh, effective. Um, I I really like this game. Yes. It's... It is a, it is the most... It is definitely the most competitive of all the games we played. It is a, it is pure head-to-head competitive. Mm-hmm. 
in a so, way that yeah, none of the a, other games we played are. There's a fire in the center of the board, um, and you, you have a wind that tells you what direction that you can place tokens. So you place a fire crystal in the direction off of like like the wind is blowing the fire in that direction. Right. You can place it anywhere um, and adjacent to that direction, and then you can play a card, and the cards will do stuff like uh, there are water-based ones that will remove fire tokens, and then there's fire-based ones that will place fire tokens in unique ways, and you use those two things along with um, cards that change the direction of the wind and cards that... Um, fire breaks. Yeah, that place fire breaks that stop the fire. Yeah. Um, and you try to set the opponent's fire tower on fire. Which is a strange objective if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that those guys up in the fire towers weren't just watching for fire? They're actually sneakily controlling it to set their own fire tower friends on fire. Yeah. It explains I, a lot. But it, A, again, very close game. I think both times we won within a turn or two of each other. Like, both of us yeah. had fire at the base of our fire tower. Yeah, at the base of our tower, at least. I think the first game you actually would have won if you had remembered, or or at least would have gone a couple extra turns if if you had remembered your bucket. Yeah, I forgot my bucket. You forgot your bucket, but the first game was probably what eight, maybe ten turns. Yeah, the second game went forever because we were just throwing down breaks and throwing down. At one point, I had a wall of breaks like every other space, and you still managed to get around it two or three times. It was a really it's a game where you really remember certain parts of it a lot, and it's oh yeah, I I remember that too. Uh, yeah, because I was I was pushing really hard. Yeah, which ultimately meant that I was neglecting my side. Yes, but it really was like both times it came down to like one lucky card draw. And at one point, I had four cards in my hand that would benefit you, and I just had to clear my hand. And I'm like, I have to clear my hand, but if I clear my hand on this turn, he's close enough that he theoretically could burn me out. But I've got to risk it. Unfortunately, you didn't have anything in your hand either. No. But like, that was annoying because we both kept having to discard at the same time. Well, it was really interesting because, like, there there is an element of bluffing in the game. There is an element of there there is an element of card management. But there, but it is definitely there is definitely some poker elements in there of just not letting your opponent know what you're what you're planning, and really just having to look like look them dead in the eye and be like, no, you, you ain't phasing me. Meanwhile, you're back there sweating like, oh, God, I don't have anything that will, pl- will counter this at all. I'm in trouble. <laughs> and, you know, holding on kind of white knuckle there for a while. And it's $55 on Amazon. I've had my shopping cart for over a year now, but I just never quite have the money for it. But it's a beautiful game. I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm actually now stronger in my views of probably buying it at some point. But I think. It is definitely the most head-to-head of all the games we played this this time. So if you're not somebody who likes head-to-head competition, not going to be for you. Although that you, being said, I'm not usually a fan of head-to-head myself, but I did enjoy playing this one. I think it's just enough hands-off that it, that it that you can sort of. I mean, like it's not like there's clever play, but it doesn't feel like you are ever completely out of options. The way like Netrunner could just run away from you. Yeah, absolutely. That's I, part of the reason why I don't like Netrunner. Um, definitely, if we don't pick this up, it's it's a game I do want to play again next year. Yeah, I, you know what I think it is? I think it's that Sentinels of the Multiverse thing where you you aren't building your deck. Like it's even if you lose, it's bad play, but it's bad play on a short term level. Like it's not like you just have a fundamentally un un 
winnable deck or something. Right. Like, you could have won, you just didn't. And last game, I don't even know how to talk about this, man. Like, what even was this thing? I don't know. It was more of an experience than a game. We weren't, like, playing that to win. I, w- I was told to play this by the guy, one of the guys who, by the guy who showed me um, Middle Earth Quest, uh, who apparently is actually one of the guys who goes to a uh, gathering of friends, which I really want to go to, but is almost impossible to get access to because you need you need three people to write you letters of recommendation to even be qualified to ask to attend and then you have to go through a level of like you have to answer a bunch of puzzles to actually be allowed admittance so there's a lot of hoops to jump through someday i hope maybe i can get to go to to one of them but we'll see but he recommended wavelength he said if you're if you're if you're going to be looking into trying to pitch a party game you should play wavelength Wavelength is a game where it's almost like a game show where you have this dial and you're going to put the dial, there's a line in the middle of the dial and you're going to randomly assign this line somewhere within this dial. So, you know, you have a lot, let's say it goes from zero degrees to 180 degrees and somewhere in there, there's going to be a line. Then you're going to A series of lines. Well, a series of lines, but like a, like a dartboard style where it's like four, three, two, like radiating out. But you basically want to pin it on the middle line. Yes. Um, just, just so we aren't confusing people too much because they can't see this. And then you're going to put down a card and the card is going to have a spectrum on it. And it's going to point to say on one end, it'll be popular. And on the other end, it'll be unpopular. And that's all you have. And you have to give something that will give them, uh, make them guess approximately where in that line or, or where in that dial the line would be. So if it was at like three quarters, you might say Chia Pets. You know, and then they'd have to say, well, is Chia Pet popular or unpopular? Or we had sexy animals and I had to go with Galapagos Tortoise. And yeah, and then we had to have a bit of a, a discussion as to whether or not Galapagos Tortoises were in fact a sexy animal. And who was judging these animals to be sexy? And why are we finding animals sexy in the first place? And boy, did that get us some looks from the neighboring table. Absolutely. No, so the, some of them were funny, like sexiest animals. Some of them were led to some interesting discussions. I said to Luke and I said to the guy who introduced this game to me, this is a game that I can see causing fights. Yes. And the right part, because there's, there's some of them are very uh, confrontational. Yes, or, their... or at least um, divisive. Yeah, yeah. Because there there are certain things that in there that might just be like, um, like uh, popular, unpopular. I mean, if you were to say Carrie, uh, Katy Perry music, and then your friend next to you puts it in popular, and you go, I don't know you anymore. I mean, there's opportunities for. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd argue bitter that disappointment. Kate, I'd argue that Katy Perry music is popular, just not liked. That is what popular means. Well, no, popular means a lot of people listen to it. They just not everybody likes her. I think you're misunderstanding the term popular. Anyway, but that's that's exactly our point, though, is that um, there are times where something presented may not give you the expected result. There was a couple of times where I had to guess what side of the scale. I knew yet you would get it in the right degree. But whether or not you'd get it in the right direction was another question entirely. Like when you said that StarCraft is a classic and the pyramids are a fad? <laughs> well, I still stand by that because no one's building pyramids anymore. Nobody's playing StarCraft anymore either. What are you talking about? I play StarCraft all the time. 
You play StarCraft 2. <laughs> Did your wife just say, no, you don't? She said, when? <laughs> anyway, in, in, in reality, Wavelength is, um, Wavelength is strange because, uh, it's not exactly a game and, oh, I, I can't it, really do that. I can't say that. It it's is a not- game with teams. It, if you were to play it with teams, which is what it recommends, where one person is suggesting it for the rest of their team, I think it would work a little better. That is true. When you're doing it head to head, it's weird. It is weird because it's it's more just like uh, uh what does my friend think of X kind of yes. thing, like which we can have... be f- like it's fun, but I didn't really feel like it was um it was satisfying those things that I expect from a game. No, I I feel like playing it like Pictionary style would be how you want to play it. Absolutely, yes. it, it would be a fun party game to play. I probably not sure I want to even look at how much this game is. I'm, I was actually just about to check that. Let's see. I like how Google just is like, oh, did you mean the board game? Yes. Uh, 35 seasons. Well, the Classic. problem is, the problem is there's some really nice, um, there's a lot of plastic in there. So, like, 35 doesn't seem unfair or, or unreasonable. It just seems more than I would want to pay. Yeah. And that's always the, the downside of some of these games. Like, the way uh, Wavelength is manufactured, you know it's going to cost a little bit. Like, you said, yeah. it's got some plastic in it. But, uh, it's not necessarily like if you play a lot of group party games, yeah. it might be worth investing in. Beyond I would, that, I'm not sure. I would say that if you want a game similar and you're not willing to put down 35, uh, which well, no, it's okay. Let me rephrase that. If you're willing to put down about $25, uh, I think Wits and Wagers is a good idea, a similar idea, but a little bit, uh, a little bit more fun. Right. Uh, Wits and Wagers is a little more more math based and a little more trivia based. So similar idea, but is actually based on facts rather than just sort of gut feelings. You're giving me a word look. I was just zoning out. <laughs> okay, this is starting to get a little long, so my brain is starting. Yeah, to I was gonna say out. we're we're I think we're pretty much at the end. So uh, the last thing we should do. Thank all of you for listening to Spitball Sessions uh, board game cast. We're so glad that you were uh, able to tune in for this one. Uh, we were super excited to uh, play some board games and we're super excited to bring you along for the ride. Our next show should be up next week where we will be talking about a game. What game was that? Let's find out. And thank you to all of the people that we got to play with and chat with. We had a great time. We hope all of you had a great time playing with us. And if you didn't, well, neener, neener, neener. A uh, shout out to Flip Flory, who's always a great person to play with. He's always so much fun and he's so easy to do anything with he's really an awesome guy if you ever come across flip um say hi yeah uh play a game with him he's great for that um also shout out to chris from flip the table uh thank you so much for the inspiration for uh this new game i hope i can make something um worth sharing with you and uh Hopefully that will be soon. And I'm going to say thank you to Gil and Tim for playing Heartthrob with us and for also talking to me a little bit about game design and also to Chip for checking out our prototype. Do you do you remember the name of the person who uh, played um, – that's the name of my band with us? Chris. Because she wanted us to quote her for the Apple. That's right. Yeah. Cause, I wish I had taken we- down her name. Um, well, we can get it next time. Oh, yes. Actually, we should read that because that was the best thing from the show. Oh, yeah.
What Apple? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> I'm uh, not sure how we're going to work that in. But in closing, thank you for listening. What am I doing with my life? Have a good night, guys. We'll see you next time. Good night, all. Good night.